0: Welcome, everyone. You're on localjobnetwork.com radio, and I'm your host, Jacqueline Peterson, and you're listening to Government Compliance, where we take federal contractors and subcontractors through the current trends of affirmative action planning, equal employment opportunity, and Office of Federal Contract Compliance Program. Today we have expert guest Beth Ronenberg, president of Berkshire Associates, who focuses on human resource and government compliance regarding the OFCCP. Beth, before we dive in today's topic, why don't you just start off by telling us a little bit about your background, how long you've been in the industry?
1: Sure. Um, I've actually been uh, specializing in EO Affirmative Action for close to 20 years. Um, I started pretty much out of college. I started in-house at a university where I was their in-house EO specialist. And then I moved to the consulting side of things about 16 years ago.
0: Okay. Well, we brought you in today because you recently wrote an article about OFCCP Directive 306 complying with non discrimination provisions. And just to sort of kick us off here, what is that directive?
1: That directive really came in as an outgrowth to the EEOC's guidance on the use of criminal background checks in employment decisions. And the EEOC guidance was published in April of 2012. And so the OFCCP sort of piggybacked off of that and said, well, you know, here's just some things that we want to make sure federal contractors and subcontractors are aware of that we're going to be looking at. The good news in all this is that it actually mirrors the EOC guidance. And so that is helpful because sometimes they don't always do that. (laughs) They don't always give you the same guidance from OFCCP and But but this one, it was really right on point. And so really what the directive was was designed to do was to inform contractors and subcontractors of their non-discrimination obligations when dealing with the results of criminal background checks. So they're really not chiming in or saying whether you can or should be using these, but what they want to make sure is contractors understand what is the impact if they are using them, how are they using the results of those in their employment decisions.
0: Okay. And I was actually surprised in your article to learn that about 92% of the employers who responded stated that they actually subject all or some of their job candidates to criminal background checks. Is there any sort of proof that such background checks actually do lower
1: theft, fraud, workplace violence, anything like that? No, I looked and I didn't see anything. I mean, I'm sure if if the companies out there that provide background checks probably have... (laughs) have authored some studies to say that, yes, it does help. Um, But I think, you know, one thing to clarify that is employers are utilizing them. There's no question. But the survey didn't really get into is how they're utilizing them. You know, are they utilizing that as the sole decision maker when they are um, making, you know, figuring out who to make a job offer to? Um, My guess is they're using it as a piece of information when they make a full decision. So, you know, again, I couldn't find any specific studies that showed that if background checks did or did not occur, whether or not there would be, you know, less theft, fraud or workplace violence.
0: Sure. So more so just like a component of the old overall hiring consideration processes maybe that they have in place.
1: That's correct. And, you know, there are some um, and, and we'll get into this a little later, but there are some that actually do require them um, as part of their job. Um, you know, so so obviously in those cases, they're going to do them. There's others where it, it makes sense to do it, because if you have somebody who is dealing with your financials all day and has access to your company's bank account, you know, you will want to make sure that they haven't been convicted of embezzlement in the past. But honestly, I think a lot of companies do it because it's what they've always done. Sure. So I think what this directive was designed to do was really to stop, make them think and say, OK, why are you doing this? And how are you using this information when you're making your selection decision?
0: So you bring up a good point. You know, obviously, the employer has got to sort of figure out when does when is this the right fit to really pull this in? So you'd mentioned, you know, if you have financials, maybe someone who has been convicted of laundering money or something, probably not the right fit for that job. Is that when an employer would appropriately use the background check as a means for maybe denying an applicant? Correct.
1: Correct. And and again, they still have to be held to a specific standard. So they have to prove that that crime that was committed, one, was specific to the job. So, you know, it it has to be proven that, well, you know, their crime was specific to the type of job that they were being held to. So a good example, again, if if we stick with the financials, if you have an accountant who was convicted of, you know, driving under the influence, is that really a crime that should be sort of used against them when they are in an employment decision for an accounting job? Now, obviously, if you're applying for a school bus driver, that's a very different uh, dynamic to think about. So, what the guidance and the directive says is, you know, what every case is going to be different. You have to you have to be looking at it on a case by case basis, and it's not just the type of job. It's also the time, you know, how much time has passed between when the conviction occurred to when you're making this employment decision. And, you know, there, I know a lot of employers wish there was a grid <laughs> that says, sure. you know, here's what you can do. Here's when it's OK. Here's when it's not OK. But that grid does not exist. They really need to be doing that on their own in terms of figuring out, you know, when does it make sense? Sure.
0: Now, let's say that the offense was, I don't know, when they were 18 years old and it's been 20 plus years, but maybe they were charged with something that's significant, but maybe not necessarily related to the job. Maybe they robbed a house with a deadly weapon, but let's say that it has nothing to do with the job per se. Does that come into play?
1: The nature and the gravity of the offense or conduct can come into play. So I think in that case, you know, the employer would need to, to really think about and say, well, what type of offense was it? So they could take into account the gravity of it. And they probably could make an argument to say, well, you know, we have a no tolerance for workplace violence and, you know, we weren't comfortable, uh, you know, bringing somebody in. So, again, it it makes it a little bit difficult because there's not a set, you know, here's the crime, here's, you know, here's the time that's okay, and here's the jobs it's related to. And that's what the government is saying, is it really has to be on a case-by-case basis for you to go back and look at it for your organization. Some of the, the specific guidance that came through in the directive was around making sure that when you are making these decisions, you have to be conscious of, are you making these decisions solely on the basis of the conviction? And then if you are making that decision, you know, making sure that there's no other factors that are coming into play. So an example would be, is let's say, In that case, you had two applicants, you know, both with some level of criminal history in the past. And, uh, you know, one is African-American and one is white. Well, if you were to not hire the African-American with that background, but then hire a white person with that background, then that is a problem. That's known as disparate treatment. Um, So that is prohibited under Title VII. So that would be one area where the use of a criminal background check although that is not a protected class. So just because you have a criminal past doesn't mean that's a protected class under the Title VII. But again, that's where an employer or plaintiff's attorney can look at this and say, well, wait a minute, you know, you have stricter rules for your African-American applicants than you have for your white applicants.
0: Yep. And so just to clarify, Directive 306 basically states that having a criminal record is not a protected basis under, under Title VII.
1: That's correct. That is correct. Now, the the other piece that's interesting to that that comes into it is, you know, the the directive really points out numerous studies that show that there are proven racial and ethnic disparities in in incarceration rates. So with that fact already out there, employers are really in danger of having something called a disparate impact on minorities um, if they have a blanket statement that they will not hire anyone with a criminal record. So if you have a company that says, under no circumstances am I going to hire somebody with a criminal record, you know, the OCCP or the EOC is going to challenge that because they're going to come back and say, well, listen, you know, we already know that minorities, you know, are disproportionately compared to the population incarcerated and have criminal records. And so if you make that blanket statement, we know for a fact that that policy that you have, you may not be discriminating and saying, well, I'm not going to hire you know, African-Americans or Hispanics with criminal records, you're saying, you know, I wouldn't hire anybody with a criminal records, But because you're saying that blanketly, and we already know that that in and of itself, there are disparities that exist there, then that's the second form under Title VII, which is called disparate impact. And that's really an unintentional discrimination that's a result or consequence of employment policies or practices which disproportionately screen out a protected class. So that's the one where most where contractors really need to be concerned because to say, you know, hey, they think, oh, I'm being fair, I'm just not going to hire anybody with that. The OCCP and EOC could still come back and say, no, no, you can't do that because we already know these facts to be true about you know, the rates in which minorities are, are, have criminal uh, record histories versus non-minorities.
0: And so that sort of ties into what we were just talking about, which is why you were saying the time frame, the nature of the offense, does it relate to the job is so important and it's to why the OFCCP or the EEOC wants the employer to look at it on a case by case basis.
1: That's true. That's exactly true.
0: So as you mentioned, you know, there is higher um, incarceration rates for persons with minorities. And obviously, so that's something that we need to pay attention. Generally speaking, federal contractors and subcontractors are required to hire the best qualified candidates. How is all this important to them?
1: You know, this this is important to them because I think one of the things I know specifically, particularly with, with many federal contractors or subcontractors, the government in and of itself sometimes exempts that. <laughs> and so what I mean by that is there are situations where if a company was going for a federal contract that required some form of a clearance, and that is one of the cases where they may have an issue with somebody having a criminal record. And so in those cases, some some contractors know, well, if I have certain employees that are going to be on certain contracts, I know it's going to be a problem if they have a criminal record. And so in those cases, some companies will say, well, then let's just, you know, let's just have no, don't have anybody that has a criminal record and I won't have this issue. And so I think from that perspective, that's where some of the trouble with federal contractors, I think they're probably the ones that are more likely to have the blanket statement than non-federal contractors because it is so inherent to their business If they're directly supporting the government, if they have employees who are entering government facilities, if they have employees who require some level of clearance. And I think this was really put out there to help them understand, yes, in certain cases this is going to be required and that will have to be considered, but it's not necessarily going to be that for every single employee that you have.
0: Okay. So what should federal contractors, subcontractors, employers do to prepare for this, especially if that is sort of the demographic that they are targeting for those types of jobs?
1: You know, I think the the first thing that they need to do is eliminate any blanket policies or per- practices that exclude people from employment based on any criminal record. So, you know, they really need to go through their handbook. They need to look at their application. They need to look at their applicant tracking system and ensure that it doesn't have anything stated in there that says, you know, under no circumstances anybody with a criminal record will not be you know, will be considered. So you really have to look at that and say, you know, I would need to make sure that if the EOC or OCSP went to my website, they wouldn't see something here that would raise the red flag for them. You know, certainly when asking questions about criminal records, you know, limit those inquiries to records which exclusions would be job-related for the position in question and consistent with business necessity. So again, if you're looking at certain positions where driving, looking at their driving record, what are those? What are the crimes that can be associated with driving? You know, that might be more relevant uh, than you know looking looking for for other sorts of crimes or considering other sorts of crimes. Again, when you look at what are those things to to really consider. You know, going back in the nature and gravity of the crime, the time that's passed, and the nature of the job that's sought, you know, you really need to look at all of your jobs and really identify those. What are those essential job requirements and actual circumstances under which the jobs are performed? So, you know, going back and saying, okay, can you know, will it matter if my accountant has a background with a DUI? Are there situations where my accountant will be having to be having to drive? Um, you know, determine the specific offenses that may demonstrate unfitness for performing such jobs. I think one, you know, as a mother, stuck out for me. I don't want anyone who has, you know, a sexual predator history or past or a sexual assault to be employed in any, uh, you know, daycare facility. Sure. So, you know, I don't think anyone's going to question, you know, having that exclusion for that type of job. And then really, you know, look at what are those durations of exclusions for for criminal conduct. So I think that you know, is is another piece to think about. And the one thing I definitely recommend that contractors should do is think about it ahead of time. I think what's happening now is, you know, background checks are part of your, most of the time they're integrated in your applicant tracking system. They're integrated into part of your process. And so they go through the steps and it's just part of their process. And then what happens is when they find something, then all of a sudden the presses stop and everyone says, well, now what are we going to do? So I think what needs to happen is these conversations need to be taking place now because if you're not going to, if it, if it doesn't matter if they have a criminal history or past, why are you asking? So I think that they really need to go in and, and look at really what is their process? Why are they doing this? If it does matter and they can defend why it matters, then they should continue using it. If it doesn't matter and they're not really utilizing that data to begin with, they can probably save some money by, by not doing them any longer.
0: Okay, and just to sort of play the devil's advocate here from an employee's perspective, many employees have the expectation that the employer is sort of vetting these new employees as a means to assure, you know, workplace safety. How does that come into play with the directive or does it not?
1: It doesn't necessarily come into play with the directive. I think in a case it it may actually give the employer a little bit more information than they need. So so what I mean by that is You know, if you go out and you do these checks, and you're checking for specific crimes, and you're finding things, but you're not making a, you can't defend making an adverse employment decision on the basis on the basis of it. Okay. Mm -hmm. So now this information's out there. Somebody may have been convicted of assault 15 years ago, and you're their telephone service representative. So you're saying, well, I can't really, I, I can't really, you know, say that 15 years ago this happened. That I would use this against them. So then you don't use it and you hire this person. And if, God forbid, something does happen and there is something in the workplace, now the employee can say, hey, employer, you knew this. Right. And the employer is sort of stuck between a rock and a hard place because they're saying, well, I couldn't use it because it wasn't job related. It wasn't business necessity. But now I have an employee on the other side saying, well, wait a minute, I'm going to get a lawyer because you should have known better and you shouldn't have hired this person. So, you know, unfortunately for employers, they really are in a difficult place with that, with the directive. And then with, I think you're exactly right. And I think that's probably why most employers do utilize some form of checks.
0: Okay. So any last minute tips or best practices you want to share? You gave us a lot here. I know you said limiting the information that you have on applications, handbooks, your applicant tracking system. Anything else that you want to share with our listeners today?
1: Yeah, I think also, too, making sure that you limit who has access to that information um, because it's really important if you are going to uh, hire the person and there is some form of criminal history in the past, you don't want them walking in the door with everybody around them knowing it. So it's really important that whatever your process is, that you know, that process is, is limited to those who are ultimately the decision makers to say whether it's it's related to the job, whether you know the, the duration or the time period is close enough, And whether there's business necessity there, but don't put, you know, the employee coming in. If you are going to give them that opportunity, don't have them come in already with, you know, two or three strikes against them because, you know, now their entire department knows this.
0: Sure. No, that's fair enough. All right. Well, you know, for our listeners out there, federal contractors and subcontractors, they might need a little assistance. We know that you obviously do consulting. How can they get in contact with you?
1: Sure. Um, they can either uh, call me. My number is one eight hundred eight eight two. 8904, and uh, my extension is 1202, uh, or they can email me at Beth R at com.
0: Fantastic. Thank you so much, Beth, for joining us today. We appreciate your expertise and experiences about this ever-evolving topic. That does it for today's show, Government Compliance. Continue listening to LocalJobNetwork.com radio for your latest employment-related programs. And if you have comments, suggestions, or questions, email us at ljnradio at LocalJobNetwork.com. I'm Jacqueline Peterson for LocalJobNetwork.com radio, and thanks for listening.